Hello, my name is John Brink and we are podcasting on the brink from the capital of northern BC, Prince George. Nice wintry day. It's about 25 below here. Yes, it is. Not bad, uh, you know, and uh, uh, typical winter day. Today is a special day and I have a special guest. As we all know, it is... Uh, Today is May the 8th, uh, or uh, sorry, November the 8th, uh, and the reason that I said May, May the 5th, May the is the Day days in Holland. Victory in Europe Day. Yes, <laughs> and, and so, thanks, <laughs> Sheldon. And, and so, it is November the 8th, and three days away from November the 11th, which Remembrance Day, and therefore, a special day for me, and a special day for our guest, and so appropriate. So. I'm introducing Sheldon. Thank you for being my guest. And uh, you know the. Uh, you, are you still at uh, teaching at the at the college? Uh, y- yes, it's just about coming on thirty years. I've been at CNC now, John. It's, it's yes. quite a quite a shock to me. I can't understand can, where can, those years went. Can you imagine it? And uh, I forgot to mention your last name, Sheldon Claire. And uh, you know the. Uh, I got kind of caught up in the dates there, and then. <laughs> We're, going, we're all good. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so you've been there for that long, Sheldon, eh? Yes. I was substitute teaching in the school district for yeah. a few years before that. And yeah. I was in working on my resume because I was looking for other opportunities. Yeah. And, and I, I looked at the mill and I looked at a few other places. Yeah. And I ran into one of my old instructors, a fellow named John Harris. Okay. And he had a big armload of marking and he had some books in his arms. And we got chatting and he said, Sheldon, would you... Would you like to write a book review for me? And he was sort of joking. And yeah. he handed me this book review on, uh, on it was a poetry book. And I said, sure, I'll write a, a book poetry review. Poetry book. A poetry book. Oh, poetry, yeah. And okay. I said, oh, 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 sure, I'll do a book review. Yeah. And it was, right, so I wrote up a review, published it in the faculty newsletter, and I got a call a week later uh, to come in for an interview for a job. <laughs> and, <there> was <laughs> and I've been there ever since. 27 years ago? Almost 30 years ago. Almost 30 years yep. ago. I started in January of 92. Are you originally the from... 93. Are you originally from this region or BC? Or? I am from Prince George, British Columbia. My, Were you born here? I, yes, I was. My dad moved here when he was one year old in 1930. And uh, the family's been here pretty much ever since. Wow. Grandpa worked on the Grand Trunk Pacific Railway in the Prince George, uh, the PGE. PGE, yeah. yeah. And he was was working as a boilermaker in the Roundhouse, which yeah. is in the museum down, yeah. down there now. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Claire's have been here a long time. There's a street name for my grandfather. Well, where is that? Claire Crescent in the in the Heritage. I, I know that, yeah. 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 And of course, Dad was on city council for a number of years. Yes. Uh, he just passed away this last year, which, yeah. you know, at a ripe old age of 93, is a wow. pretty distinguished citizen of the city. So. Absolutely. So, and then, so, you have quite a background, and obviously to my guest, uh, you know, not only from the region, but internationally, they say... Uh, you know, the Sheldon has so many uh, uh, recognitions on his jacket here. Tell me a little bit about you in regards to your involvement with uh, the Army or, uh, you know, and, well, or Air Force or... Well, I was a cadet instructor's list officer uh, yeah. for about seven, eight years in Prince George and in Vancouver when I was at university. Right. 
I, was, I became involved in the Legion when I was in Vancouver. My commanding officer was a Major Ken Parr down at the British Columbia Regiment Cadet Corps that I was working with. He said, in this, in this Cadet Corps, or in this unit, this regiment, yeah. we are members of the 282 Newgate Branch at 4th and Fur. It's a Legion that's now closed, sadly. Yeah. And he slid an application form across at me and asked for my $18.75, I think it was. To become days, a member. To join up into the Legion. Yeah. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, it's just $20. What am I going to do? I'm a starving student. But I had a $20 bill in my pocket and that was all I had there. And so I gave it to him. Yeah. And he took that. He put it in an envelope. And that's what made it official. And... Then he slid across the table yeah. two bursary applications, one for the yeah. Ladies Auxiliary and one for the Legion. Yeah. And I filled those out and I've been trying to pay back the bursary money ever since. <laughs> so I, yeah, I was a cadet instructor's list officer. I was fortunate to do uh, a, a, a bit of uh, military stuff beyond what they usually do. I got right. to Germany as a, as a cadet and was in the, in the NATO brigade there and yeah. I was on uh, other NATO Where was exercise. it in Germany that you want to? I was in uh, Laar for a little while and then in Baden-Baden and in most of the exercise areas were in Hohenfels. Yeah. Uh, and we did a lot of work with the tanks and the carriers and yeah. uh, the unit I was attached to was the 3rd Battalion of the Royal Canadian Regiment. Yeah. And has one of the flyover augmentees yeah. along with others. Uh, and a lot of this I, was things that I did when I was an army cadet before becoming a CIL officer. A yeah. cadet instructor, now called a cadet instructor's cadre officer. Right. Uh, I did well in the army cadets, jump yeah. course, and a fair bit of travel. Yeah. And I, I kept active on the supplementary reserve list until 2010 when they finally had had enough of me and took me off because, right. of, because of the number of years on. But I've I've been very glad to oversee the helping set up a reserve unit in Prince George, the Correct. Rocky Mountain Rangers. I've been yeah. glad to do that. And I've been active with the Legion and other organizations, which you would have seen from my biography, the National Firearms Association yeah, yeah. and uh, Alpine Club, the, the Rod and Gun Club, yeah. and, uh, and and others. I, just, I my, my parents kind of instilled in me a strong sense of community service yeah. right from a young age. Yeah. And... I, I mean, th these Legion medals I have here are, these are for going to too many meetings. Yeah. You, you would kind of understand that as yeah, well. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you, you show up, you do what you can do yeah. to the best of your ability, and you try to help other people to do the best that they can do. So what if you can understand well, these are yeah. And these are my service medals. That's my yeah. uh, special service medal and my right. Queen's Diamond Jubilee medal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, those, those are my, those are the, or real, what yeah, I yeah. call real medals, and these yeah, are yeah. these are Legion service medals. Yeah, yeah. So, but still very, very impressive. Oh, it's an, oh, it does yeah. it does pop. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you but, but I like about it, uh, Sheldon, is that I grew up the same as you did. To all, you know, giving back has always been part of my culture, and is part of uh, who I am. You know that a lot of people, uh, you know, that even when things are not going that well, or even when I was here and, you know, was kind of working on the green chain or anything like that, I always try to, to the best of my ability. It was part of my culture. Absolutely. And, and still, I've always done that and always try to do that. Uh, and hence, as you know, uh, you know, I be, uh, for the last 20 years, I've always tried to at least speak on a couple of schools, uh, uh, you know, at the week of uh, November the 11th, 
uh, for Remembrance Day as to why the two minutes of silence, what should it really mean, and what role did the Canadians play in the liberation of uh, Holland and, and, and Europe, you know. So. And, and not a lot of people know that you were in the Air Force, in, 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 in the Dutch Air Force as well. Yeah. I think that's really cool. And part of Special Forces, yes. nonetheless. You know, so and and I also was stationed for a short period in Baden-Baden. Oh, really? Yes. Wow! We just yeah, they <laughs> ate I some did. dirt. <laughs> it was still an air base, and uh, you know, so I did uh, I, I did parachute jumping. That was all part of my training and uh, and and background, and uh, yeah, so it was a, a good period when I was eighteen, and uh, you know, and and. What a transition from being this young guy, uh, you know, when I was called into the Air Force in January of 20, I was 18 years old yes. in 1958. And, uh, you know, then all of a sudden at that, that critical age when you think you know it all, and then all of a sudden you end up in a, in a room with 40 other guys that think they know it all too. And, and you have to and, sort it out. <laughs> to get it all sorted out. And then uh, was in Special Forces for six months and, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, got, uh, you know, uh, Smith and Weston and, uh, you know, 45 caliber and then uh, Uzi machine gun and a carabine and all those kind of things. And all of a sudden, you know, so kind of was a, a life changer in the world. Uh, and then for me, it was again special, uh, you know, because I was there. I was born, uh, you know, in November 1940, and then I'm, I'm still very aware of what happened. I'm sometimes amazed. I look at my grandchildren, how aware they already are at uh, three and a half, four. Well, you had some pretty strong images to form your memories yeah. at five years old with yeah. the war ending, but watching the, the, the Germans flee before you and the Canadians arrive and yeah. the memories of having to eat tulips. And, yeah. and then all of a sudden you're introduced to things like chocolate and cheese and, yeah. and Never good had food. any, you know, because, uh, you know, the, 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 the hunger winter of 1944-45 uh, were devastating. Thousands of people died from hunger. And, uh, you know, and things got pretty, pretty bad. For me, uh, you know, my dad, I really never knew him until 1945, uh, you know, because he was called uh, to serve in, I think it was uh, in March or so of 1940. And, uh, you know, and, and the last time that they saw him, just before the bombing of Rotterdam. Oh, And then wow. for five years, they didn't know if he was dead or alive. And then they came back after the Canadians liberated and he had a helmet with him. There's the bullet that passed. They must have gone just by his head, you know, that, uh, yeah, and he Terrifying was underground stuff. and fighting underground, all that kind of stuff. But uh, formative years for you very much. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I think we, we, sh we share a few memories of our youth as, uh, as being exciting times and being young and strong and fit and, and all of that. And it's, right. it's, it's, it's powerful stuff. And here yeah. we are in Prince George, BC, in, in a place that's pretty peaceful. It's paradise. I think it is. I look at Canada, you know, as a country, we are collectively so lucky. And I say that many, many times when people say, well, yeah, blah, 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 and all negative. And I said, hey guys, we are in the most beautiful place in the world. And then BC is the most beautiful province in my mind in, in Canada. 
and then northern BC is unique. Well, you and I have both flown into Prince George many times. Many times. And I remember talking to you on one one time we were coming in, and I I remember the sense of relief that I always feel when I come into Prince George, and I saw it in your face as well. Yeah. It's, It's home. Home. And you look down, and I've heard people say disparaging comments about Prince George my yeah. whole life. Oh, it's a smelly mill town, and yeah. you know, just go there, make your money, and get out. And yeah. It's nonsense. This is no. a beautiful green city, and yeah. it's a beautiful winter city, too. And then look around in terms of, uh, you know, nature. You know, we, we got nature all around us, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the bears and... Hunting, fishing, hunting, fishing. We got lakes ski. all over. There is no place like it, and especially after COVID, oh. people start to appreciate it and saying, my God, are they lucky. And now you look at Prince George, it's, it's starting to become uh, a major, major city. Uh, you know, you look at the University of Northern British Columbia and then CNC, which is very close to my heart. Yes. Uh, and has always been, same as UNBC. And, uh, and then, obviously, being honored to have one of the buildings named after Yes, me. absolutely, the you John Brit- the Trades and Technology Center. Yeah. You no, know, you know, you've uh, really made your mark on town here, and I, you know, it, I think I encourage everybody who lives here to try to aspire to do something for their community. Yeah. And I, I think if more of us did, we'd make it even greater than it is. Exactly. And, and we have so much to offer here. I, exactly. You look at Otway, the skiing, uh, cross-country skiing, we have places like Purden Ski Hill. It's a jewel just And the best is yet to come, Sheldon. It absolutely you know, is. And that's kind of the way I look at it. We are still an extremely young city, uh, incorporated in 1914, and then has, you know, when I came here 60 years ago in 1965, uh, you know, uh, on the bus with my $25.47 and one dream, I wanted to build a lumber mill. And uh, I had $25.47, but attitude, passion, work ethic were the foundation. And, uh, you know, I I never doubted that uh, this would happen, you know, and that I would become... Uh, I, I would build my own lumber mill. And the reason that I did is because my dad was in the lumber business in Holland, didn't own one, but managed one. And my grandfather was a master, cap- ca- uh, master carpenter. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and I just loved the lumber thing of life. You There's know? something about wood that's very, very yeah. calming. I, you know, I, I, as, as you know, I play the bagpipes, which is a woodwind instrument, and I, yeah. the vibrations and the sound in, 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 the, in the thick, hard wood that's used the, to make the, the drones yeah. Is, yeah. Is, is, really resonates. And yeah. you, you also get the smells of fresh-cut uh, pine and spruce yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and birch and all the rest of it, for that matter. It, yeah. And this is really the, the center of that activity, too. Yeah. So I look at your resume or your CV or uh, whatever you call it, or your history, you've always been very, very involved in particular with, uh, you know, the uh, Legion and things related to that. And then with the college, but also many, many other things. And, uh, you know, and, and you've always done that, uh, you know, from the time that you were young, as you said, it was part of your culture. It really, it really is deeply uh, ingrained in me. Yeah. I, I, I think that the example of my parents being involved in local politics, yeah. community service yeah. clubs and everything, 
always was quite inspiring. Yeah. And, and you see how they build up relationships with other people yeah. and were able to make their mark yeah. in, on the community. Yeah. And then uh, your dad in particular, you know, he was involved in city council. And, uh, you know, and, and then uh, just like you said, and that was at a period when, uh, you know, Prince George went through major growth. Uh, from the mid '60s, '64, really. Uh, your, yeah, your timing and his were were really quite good. Yeah, <laughs> your yeah. Timing was so important. Yeah. I mean, through the '80s, it wasn't so great. No. There were that that downturn. Yeah. I was I was fortunate to be in university at that time, and then I came out of university into when it was starting to pick up, and yeah. then it started to drop again. And yeah, but that is not untypical for a region like this in particular. That is substantially uh, uh, re relying on uh, investments in natural resources that tend to sometimes be uh, uh, very, uh, you know, typical ups and downs that go with it, right? Absolutely. The, cy yeah. the cyclic nature of, yeah. uh, of a resource-based economy is, Correct. Is, is the way it is. But, but all the while, you know, the, uh, you know, Prince George and his people were very progressive in terms of... Uh, bringing in infrastructure that makes it attractive, like for a family mm -hmm. uh, to grow. Uh, you know, it is now the ideal place to uh, raise a young family. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, to, and to stay here. I see people that were here at one time coming back to Prince George, uh, you know, partially because of uh, the other areas getting busier and busier and then COVID. Uh, was a bit of a wake-up call. And... COVID, I think, was a terrible thing for right. a lot of people. And, yeah. at, but I believe that what it forced people to do was to focus on how good we have it. Yeah. And it made people realize that this is a jewel. Yeah. There are many opportunities yeah. that you can do here that mean you can go out and, on your own without having to worry too much about uh, being... You, you, like you can go out in the woods here and yell, the world is overpopulated, yeah. and no one will hear you. No. <laughs> so no. It's, it's, it's a wonderful place to live. Yeah. And then the other part about Prince George, what I like about it, is that we are the center of the province. And if I look north in particular, but also south to a certain extent, all of this has, relatively speaking, not been developed, really. You know, and, and it's still very much in motion, like Prince George will become, is already the center of British Columbia and, and has, uh, you know, the, becomes the key point for interaction between Asia and the U.S., Midwest, and the Eastern Seaboard. We have railroads, we have air, we have roads, all in the center of this part of the province. And it is already, to a certain extent, an inland port and it will become that even more so as we go forward. I, I agree. I, I think that uh, the sinking of the Titanic, of course, and Charles Melville Hayes going down with it, uh, certainly affected how the layout of the city is because right. he was supposed to come here and say, well, this is where the railroad station was going to be. Right. And when they made the decision, they made, that, they made the, the decision they thought he would have made, and yeah. the city grew from that. And... I, I really believe you're right. I, I think that there is a great deal of opportunity here. It's, as one fellow said to me once, Prince George has many incredible features, none of which are readily obvious 
on first glance. Right. You have to look, you have to get involved, you have yeah. to be a joiner, you get in, in exactly. knowing the people and, and interacting with them and the next thing you know, this is your home. Yeah, and then what I usually say, a little bit delicate, but uh, what I usually say, Prince George will be successful not because of the politicians, but in spite of them. <laughs> you know, because the location and all the things around it, you know, uh, you know, the, it, it, it just has that immense potential. And then uh, I must compliment our local politicians in particular, uh, the, the past council, the city council, and then the past ones, and then, uh, and then the new incoming one, that was sworn in today, yesterday, uh, I believe. I think, yes, something very, like very, that. Very, very, yeah. It's right now, about this time. Yeah, so. and 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 uh, you know to then uh, look around us and uh, right behind us. Uh, I don't know if our guests can see it, but it's right over my shoulder here. You see the new swimming pool. Oh yes. You know, and then uh, we got University of Northern British Columbia every time growing, but not only for. Prince George, but for the entire region in northern British Columbia. And then obviously we got the College of New Caledonia, of which you such an important part as well, that has satellites all over the northern BC. Absolutely. And, and is ever growing and growing further uh, as we speak. And yeah, the college is 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 growing, and has a it has much potential to do more. Yeah, and certainly it has been serving a broad based population over a wide area. Yeah, and I, I think we've I think we still have more students than the university does. Yeah, unbelievable, and then and still growing. I'd like to see a center of excellence that go beyond what we have together with uh, the College of New Caledonia and UNBC. Something that kind of not not duplicates but mirrors BCIT uh, you know because one of the challenges that we have if we want to invest as an entrepreneur in in northern BC and attract capital you know when we uh, opportunities for training your people yeah, yeah because when I made my presentation on when they designated or uh, dedicated the uh, John A. Brink Trades and Technology Center how many years ago? Twenty-five years ago, or something. Gosh, it is a long time. It's, yeah, it used to and be the uh, used to be the Canadian Tire Building, it, it, and then uh, yeah. and then they changed it into the Trades and Technology. Yeah, there was Center. an opportunity, and uh, you know, and that needed uh, uh, private involvement. So uh, I try to and and <coughs> you know encourage a lot of people to invest in it, but unfortunately, I'm not blaming anybody, but they wouldn't buy I wanted to, so I did. You know, and <laughs> well, you've been a great philanthropist for this community, John. I know uh, our, even our pipe band has benefited from uh, from your yes. support. Yeah, and the, uh, I like it. Yeah, yeah. I and, like them. And you, you've uh, done so much for so many by giving back all the time. I'm just uh, completely impressed by all of that. It's, it's part of my culture, Sheldon. Exactly. You know what it is, the feeling. And if I can do it, I will. And, and I will keep doing that because that's who I am. And, and, uh, and that's how I feel about the region and about BC, but especially Prince George and Northern BC. You know, well, so. it's very, very cool that you were able to come back or come to the country that freed the Dutch back in 1945 when you were a little boy yeah. and you've grown up here and you've been able to help 
pay that back, I guess. Yeah. Is that what you, the sense you've got of it? Well, you see that what happened then, you know, on that uh, April the 12th, 1945, and the Canadians came into our city, it had been a tough, tough go. And, uh, you know, that what we used to do is, uh, I still remember that, uh, you know, that uh, 44, 45 was hard, 43 was hard, all those times were hard because since, uh, you know, 1943, we had daytime, nighttime bombing, you know, coming from uh, the UK over Northern Holland, staying over water as long as they could to avoid uh, flak from down below. My uncle's brother was one of those Lancaster pilots. Exactly, and, and they came right over our area as one area that they already entered, and then they would come back, and, and there is no sound like having 300, 300 planes in the air. I, I still can hear it, but I cannot describe it. With those Rolls-Royce Merlin engines roaring like they do. I've, I've heard Unbe them working up the Lancet to the Hamilton uh, Air Museum. Yes. And I, it just sends a chill through you. I, it, I, and it still does to me I, even I now. I believe it. You know? I believe it. And then my mother used to take us out on, on the flat roof, not because it's so nice to look at something in the middle of the night, but at least if there was danger, which there always was, at least she could see it and we were standing with her and then we could see Germany in the distance, not all that far away. We are only 10 minutes away from Emden, uh, Wilhelmshaven, oh. Hamburg. We could see the sky burning and, uh, and then some of those planes came back and, and were shot at. A number of them didn't make it, uh, crash landed in our area. And, uh, you know, so, and then the other thing that I remember is, uh, that feeling of hunger, you know, I still can feel that now, you know, the same feeling of hunger. If you haven't eaten in three or four days and uh, that kind of a feeling. And then, but we, we did, uh, you know, my, I had uh, a sister that was one year old, a brother two years old, and we would have gunny sacks and we would go into the railroad yards and, and the Germans would maybe kick us in, in our behinds, but they wouldn't shoot us. And we picked up anything edible and burnable, anything. Yeah, coal or anything. Any, any potatoes that have been any, thrown Anything, out. whatever, right? And, uh, and that's what we would do. And then, uh, so that, and that was that feeling. So what I remember, the feeling of hunger, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the cold, because we only had, had one portion of our house, a small little room, uh, no bigger than this here and a little little heater there and and then we would sit around that heater and it, it, the feeling of cold still goes right through you did you have a radio at all no that was pretty pretty difficult to have a radio they would well, take them not, away uh, they, not allowed no not allowed yeah. and then the anxiety you could feel it even as a kid i can feel that in my mother the sense of anxiety you know you and the natural feeling of a person can feel that. So the combination of all of that, uh, you know, still always kind of stayed with me. Of course. And, uh, you know, and then there was in a way a feeling of fear of losing your parent. Uh, and, and actually I got counseling for the end of child when I was already well into my 50s. I, well, of course. Yeah. It's such a traumatic experience. Yeah, it's not and a PTSD and yes. all those things, right? Yeah. And then the other thing, I have to share this with you, is that I'm a realist. You know, and, and I am, you know, and, and then so, uh, you know, then, uh, so the Canadians were behind our house from here, uh, 
<laughs> 50 feet away. And, and we would go there every morning and, and, and everybody was called Johnny and, and we could all, uh, you know, interact, but we didn't speak the language, but we did, right? And, and they fed us bread with cheese and butter, you know, and, and chocolate bars. And <laughs> we would go there every morning, you know, and, 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 I, and, and then, you know, so, uh, you know, that's what we did. And then one of them gave me a rucksack. And, and the rucksack, right from that point forward, I knew I would go to, not, not just because of the rucksack, but I admired them so much, the, you know, that I knew from that point forward I would go to Canada, I the went, land of my heroes. I, I have been to uh, the Netherlands, Holland, uh, France, Belgium, a lot of places in Europe, Germany, uh, yeah. uh, many times. Yeah. And one trip I took was in 1992 when I was on the Legion's Youth Pilgrimage of Remembrance. Right. And we were there with one World War I veteran, yeah. several World War II veterans. Yeah. And, we, and I was a, I'm a piper, so I had my bagpipes. And yeah. we would go to various war cemeteries yeah. and hold little services and, and meet the local people. Yeah. And I was always astounded at the incredible welcome that the Dutch people oh, yeah. gave Canadians. Oh, yeah. It was Unbelievable! I was yeah. I'm walking down the street carrying my bagpipes, yeah. in my kilt and all of the rest of that. Yeah. And this gentleman, he stops me on the street. He says, "Excuse me, you are British?" And I go, "No, Canadian." And then he went, "Canadian! Oh my gosh! You yeah. must come to dinner at my house and oh, meet my daughters." Absolutely. I was I couldn't believe it. Oh no, that's very much so. And it goes right up to the little kids there. Then you know, right. looking after the graves. Yeah. The candle ceremonies. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. it's, no, it's incredible. And, and I think people here, they don't completely understand the depth of gratitude That's that the, Europe talk about it, the right? Europeans yeah. have yeah. for the liberation that you experience yeah. personally. And, and, and they, they, we don't, like, you can talk about it. You yeah. can show pictures. Yeah. I, I've taken many pictures of war cemeteries sure. and shown them to my yeah. students over the years. But nothing quite pulls at your soul, like going there, walking the ground, no question touching it. those stones, yeah. reading those names, yeah. and, and seeing those people who pass by those places every day. Correct. Because we don't have that here. Yeah. We have our cenotaph, the yeah. empty tomb, yeah. with the names of those sure. who went and either didn't come back or died later of their wounds. Correct. And those lists from all these little communities all over yeah. Canada are small yeah. by comparison. <clears throat> yeah. But when you see all of those communities connected in those yeah. big cemeteries at yeah. Oosterbeek and Grosbeek and Arnhem and, and uh, so many other places. All over there. It, uh, yeah. it really pulls at your soul. Yeah. It no, really no does. So I, I understand exactly yeah. your message when, yeah. you're, when you're talking about that because it's the right message. Yeah. So. Then what happened then I came here. I wanted to go when I was 17, but they wouldn't let me, my parents. You had and to go was, to the Air Force. I was drafted <laughs> when I was 18. Yeah. So I was gonna go before that, but he said no. And then I was drafted. And then, uh, then I won when I was 24. And, and, and uh, again, you can relate to this, is that what I did not know is, uh, uh, it, it, I was not exactly an academic scholar. Uh, I failed grade three, and I failed, well, nobody fails grade three, really. And then I failed grade seven three times. 
I'm and sure you were a very energetic student, John. <laughs> <laughs> you know the rest of the story. A lot of, you know, so in any event, then they said, what are we going to do with them, right? So they were considering sending me, suggesting they send me to the uh, uh, mentally challenged school, but they didn't do that. They sent me to become uh, a furniture maker. And so that's what I taught. Uh, I became a furniture maker. Mm -hmm. And then uh, from there and then I went into the uh, Air Force, uh, you know, obviously, and was drafted. But then, when, so now a couple of things had happened. I, my dream was still to go to Canada. The, uh, I loved the lumber side because my dad was involved in it. My grandfather was a uh, master carpenter. And then, uh, you know, the... And, and the other problem that I had, uh, Sheldon, is that I was a happy individual, I was a go-go individual, but I felt that I had failed, you know, so because how do I build a career, uh, you know, because as soon as I'm applying someplace, you say, okay, where do you, your diplomas? Well, I have no diplomas, <laughs> you know, so, and, and uh, how about your schooling? Well, grade seven, three times, you know, so, anyway. Well, it's almost the German line. Deine Papiere bitte, your papers please. Yeah. And you, I think this would resonate with someone who had gone through the occupation too. Exactly. Is, am I right? Yeah, yeah. oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, so I kind of felt I had to start from the ground up again. And, and uh, so I made up my mind. I, I was already quite successful in Holland. Amazingly, actually, I worked for the, one of the largest importing firms in Western Europe and somehow was successful, but I didn't feel that way. And I felt I had to start from the ground up. And so I took $150 with me, one suitcase, three books, a uh, couple, uh, couple of sets of clothes. And then uh, uh, I, I took the flight to uh, Montreal and then by, by train to uh, Vancouver because wow. I wanted to go into the lumber four days, five nights. And then uh, <laughs> took the bus to, and then I talked to a German fellow in, uh, in uh, uh, you know, Vancouver because I could speak German, but not so much uh, English mm -hmm. at all, virtually, and uh, a little bit of uh, German, uh, you know, because we close to them. And then uh, told them that, uh, you know, what I wanted to do, he said, Prince George, that's where you got to go. 1965, they're building sawmills and plenty mills, that's where you have to go. So I took the bus to uh, Prince George, came off the bus, had 20, my employees actually made this. I just have to show it to everybody. It says $25.47. That's what I had in my pocket when I came off the bus. The other thing that it says, foundation of my life is attitude, passion, work ethic, what follows is success. Anyway, oh, that's what I did. And, uh, you know, so now, I uh, so I had no job. And uh, then from there, and then I became a cleanup man. And then uh, you know, and, and, and then at uh, one of the sawmills, and then very quickly, within a year, I was a superintendent. <laughs> Can you believe it? I won the largest mills here. And then what happened is then the sales manager, you know, invited me to his house. And I had, still didn't speak the language well. And, uh, you know, and I was nervous about it. So he invited me to his house and uh, the fellow's name was uh, Jerry Wilmot. And uh, so I was quite nervous and we went, you know, just by myself and I went for dinner. And then we started talking about, okay, where are you from in Holland? You know, and then 
he, he had been in Holland. As an officer. He was in uh, part of the Canadian Army. Wow. And he was an officer, a captain, in the Canadian Red Cross. And he was in the schoolyard behind my house. Wow. Can you believe that? That's, that That's what I'm amazing. saying. I'm a realist. Those things cannot happen. Right? <laughs> yeah, you don't go halfway around the world and meet them. I have done this kind of thing in strange places too. Frankfurt Airport, I walk into people I know, right? It happens. Shoot, shoot. But, but this is remarkable. Let me add one more thing to it, Dan. So you know where my mill is. I do. Yeah, my mill is on River Road. You can virtually nearly see it from here. Very close to the Clare house that used to be in the cache. That's where it was, eh? Yes. Yeah. I think it's actually probably was right on where your mill site is. Right. So the road was called Planer Road. The reason that they called it Planer Road, because in the 40s, 50s, there were about 600 sawmills around Prince George. They would go to the bush, cut the lumber, put it on the truck, and then sell it to the planer mills that would then shave it, make it nice and smooth, and then load it on cars, rail cars, that send it then mainly to the United States. And a lot of the wood from here during the war was used to build the aerodromes and classrooms for the Commonwealth Air Training Camp. Absolutely. You know. And so that's where I'm, I set up my mill in 1975. And the location of that particular location there where I'm sitting now with most of my, the mill that I built in 1975, 47 years ago, there used to be a planer called Norman M. Smith. And up to 1964, Norman M. Smith was owned by Captain Jerry Wilmot. Ah. How could that be? What an incredible coincidence. How can it be? It's fate. Is it? I think so. Yeah, but... <laughs> See, that's the captain in my schoolyard, you know, when I was five years old. Yeah. Has to, there's, a, there's a tie there. Yeah. You, you, uh, so there's, life is full of small choices. We make all these small choices every single day, and they can have huge consequences. Little choices about to turn left or turn right. It, it all makes a difference in, in how you end up where you are. Right. You talked to this fellow on the train, and he told you to go to Prince George. You yeah. made a choice. You didn't have to go to Prince George. No. Vancouver looked nice. Yeah. You, you went all the way across Canada on a train. Right. And for a European, that must have been quite an interesting trip. I couldn't believe it. I wanted <laughs> to step out and walk alongside. I said, well, we're going to speed up the train here. You know, because I was used to the trains that run, that run at about 120 miles an hour. Yes, right? and stop at every village. And this train is going to go for days. For days. Yeah. And saying, my God, are we not there yet? <laughs> it's like a small child. Yeah. I, I remember running into a German veteran at a, at a, uh, a festival out in Burns Lake. And he, we were there with the pipe band, and he came up to me and he said, Oh, you're Scottish Highlanders. He said, I remember, I remember you guys from the war. And I was like, well, we're a pipe band. It's not, nothing like that. But he goes, you know, when, when I was taken prisoner at Tobruk, they took me to across the ocean to Montreal, and they put me on a train. And I knew we were going to lose the war because this is another Russia. Yeah. <laughs> we cannot do another one. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> and he, he said he knew he had to move to Canada after yeah. his experience in working in the parks and building trails yeah. as a prisoner of war. Yeah. Uh, it was, it, it's an interesting thing because one of the defining things I think about Canada is the vast distances that yeah. we have. That Unbelievable. It, and, and as someone coming from the Netherlands, Holland, a very tightly packed place yeah. with so many people. Yeah. And you come here and it's all this space. Yeah. I, I, sometimes I go to Holland, uh, you know, not so much now, but in, in the earlier years when I was here, is that, yeah, so what we did is we went to Vancouver for the weekend. So we uh, drove down Friday evening and then we came back uh, Sunday evening because we had to go to work on Monday. Oh, how long did it take you? The, the, it takes about nine hours to get there, nine hours to go, but 18 hours. Are you kidding me? <laughs> See, John, you've really become a solid Canadian in your time because you have adopted a Canadian feature. Yeah. You measure distance in time, not yeah. in kilometers. No, exactly. So, like, when someone says, how far is it to Vanderhoof? It's an hour. Yeah, that's usually what we say that. Yeah. You know, they, it's interesting that you say that, but I've always thought of myself as a Canadian from the time that I was five years old from that point forward. I always thought of myself as a Canadian. Absolutely. Really did, you know, so, uh, but, you know, so, so that's why this Friday in particular is so important to us that remembering. Absolutely. Yeah, and it will be close to for our guests watching this internationally. Uh, you know, the uh, Remembering's Day is usually here at around 10.30, people are coming down uh, and it's about... Yeah, we'll come from, we, yeah, looking over your shoulder, you can see the Civic Center and the Art Gallery will form up. Right. We'll come down Quebec, then just over to 5th, yeah. down to, uh, to uh, George Street. Straight to the cenotaph. Yeah, I was just walking it before I came up to see you. Actually, yeah. to just sort of look at some of the possibilities with the snow that I'm going to have to deal with. And yeah, I'm going to. And then the lots and lots and lots of people, hundreds of people. We're expecting a great turnout. Yeah, and and that's pretty much so every year. It's uh, you know one of those events, and uh, you know. Well, even last year when we had the restrictions opening up a bit, we had a very good turnout at the Sanitaf service. Yeah. We didn't do an indoor one, no. but we're back to an indoor service. Yeah. We're back to a parade. We're back to the... And that was because of, for our guests, international guests, that was because of COVID. Yes. Uh, you know, for two years, it was not uh, indoor, right? Was yeah, that that's right. We two... just did the, the, the small ceremonies at the Sanitaf. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's really great to get everybody back together. Yeah. No, it is. Now, the other thing I want to talk to you a little bit about is uh, you have all kinds of hobbies that I found <laughs> interesting. So talk to me about and talk to my, uh, tell my guests and me a little bit about your hobbies. Well, I've got, I've got the run of the mill kind of things. I, I have a bit of a stamp collection, uh, yeah. which, I, which I haven't looked at a lot lately, but yeah. I've been uh, picking up again. I, Not I, a lot of people are doing that. In Europe, when I grew up, we all did have stamps. Well, stamps have changed nowadays. They're all yeah. stickies now, right? And, yeah. and it's a little bit more complicated playing with that than yeah. it is the, the uh, a stamp that's not a sticker. And yeah. So I, I understand that. So I kind yeah. of look at the older ones. Yeah. And I, I, I've done that as a kind of a relaxing thing. Of course, I like to read. I, yeah. Any running my position. But I, I also enjoy shooting, hunting. Yeah, uh, I, I try to get out with a fishing rod sometime, but I've never been very good at that. I'll have to yeah. get someone to give me uh, some tips. 
Uh, and my daughters, of course, have kept me busy for many years. I've been involved with biathlon with them for, yeah. for a while. Uh, and they've been quite successful. Yes, uh, they changed from biathlon after a few years. They discovered boys and jobs and things. But, yeah, which is uh, uh, normal. the normal thing, right? Yeah, but they yes, they had very good runs at biathlon, and the, the club at uh, the Caledonia Nordic Ski Club was a great place for them to be growing up. Yeah, as uh, as uh, preteens and teens, learning how to ski, yeah. life skills, and uh, they both become quite competent, uh, expert downhill skiers as well. So yeah. I'm very very pleased. They live here, right? Yes. Do you have two daughters? Yes, Elisa or Elise and uh, Danielle. Danielle, they have families and kids. No, no, they're uh, Elise is uh, is just nineteen. Danielle's sixteen, so she's yeah, still in high school. Yeah, still, so young. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know the uh, yeah, it's nice to have them here in Prince George. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, the the whole bunch of us are actually here. My younger sister and two younger brothers are both here. They all kind of stayed in Prince George. Eh? Well, they and they left for a while, and everybody just came back. Yeah, you know, yeah. Karen was in Vancouver as an emergency nurse at, at uh, Vancouver General for many years. Okay. And uh, she met a fellow on an Alpine Club trip that we were on, uh, Elizabeth Parker Hut, and they're married. And Okay. Up here now, one of my climbing partners. Yeah. You know, you lose a climbing partner and gain a brother-in-law. Yeah. And uh, my uh, my brothers are both uh, quite skilled tradesmen. Kevin's a helicopter uh, uh, aircraft maintenance engineer. Okay. And Brian is a journeyman carpenter, crane operator, and he was a journeyman floor layer as well. Yeah. And they're both very very good at their trades. Yeah. They've uh, got that pickiness and. And uh, work ethic, you know, the ad good attitude, passion, work all ethic, of that, all right? of that. It's yeah. all deeply seated in them. Yeah. And uh, they've always been very, very precise about their work. Yeah. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm proud of my brothers and my sister. Yeah, I, well, and so you should be. They're, right? they're, they're really uh, good people with good skills. Yeah. Yeah. So if you kind of look forward now, Sheldon, uh, you know, you're still relatively young. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I got some time left, I hope. Yeah, and, and you hope to stay at, uh, at the, the college? Yes, uh, the college has been very good for me. Yeah. I've uh, been fortunate to have some extremely good mentors yeah. in my time there. I, I think of uh, uh, Gordon Ingalls, Don Prokoski, John Harris, Barry yeah. McKinnon. And and so many others, uh, yeah. like uh, fellows who I wasn't even the same discipline, like Ron Ryan, who taught marketing there for many years yeah. before he retired. Uh, and I I have seen so many good people uh, working there over time, and st who still do. Yeah, uh, Barry McKinnon used to live next to me in uh, yeah in Miller Edition. That's right, in the Miller Edition. Yeah, yeah him and his wife Claire. Uh, oh no, his Joy. daughter is Claire. Joy. Joy. Yeah, yeah that's his right. Daughter is Jesse. You have uh, two kids, Jesse and Claire. Yeah, yeah. terrific people. Yeah, and yeah. and yeah, they are. and uh, I I think the the community at the college has been a very strong one in terms of building a better community. No, no question about that. But not only a community, but also in terms of the satellites throughout northern BC, absolutely yes. extremely influential and still are. And still are moving forward, right? Most definitely. It, it, there's so many opportunities that the college yeah. offers for people, yeah. both as university transfer or in trades. Yeah. And I mean, I teach in university transfer and history program. Yeah. Uh, we, we offer the ability of people to think and learn 
in a critical way about their past yeah. and maybe apply the lessons of the past to their present circumstances and to their futures. Now, one of the things that I found interesting about you is that at one time when you worked for School District 57, you were involved in children that had challenges uh, with oh, yes. ADHD. Yes. I, I, so how, how did you get involved in well, that? Well, I was I was substitute teacher. I was a supply teacher. Yeah. But I, there, was a, there was a program called Intensive Child Care Resource okay. that uh, had a number of children who had ADHD and were not able to operate well in the standard classroom environment. Right. I think at one time we had eight students and three staff. And there were a lot of challenges associated with making sure that they were kept active, yeah. engaged, busy, focused. Yeah. And you had to, uh, you had to really be on top of things as a teacher yeah. and as a staff member. We, a lot of physical activity. We did wheelchair basketball uh, to keep the, keep the kids' uh, energy levels going. And I, I remember days where, where none of them would show up. Some of them had been involved in, in uh, bad things. There'd been, there, were, there were some success stories. That, uh, children came out of there and they went on to do better things. Uh, and that's, that's really good to see. I still run into a, a couple of them occasionally and they, yeah. they, you know, they thank me for those, those times. Yeah. I, I feel like I've made a difference. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, but it was a lot of supervision uh, and uh, a lot of energy in the room. I, and right. I, I, re I remember I was sitting at my desk one morning and this young boy came in and he opened the door with great force and it broke the little door stop right off of its bolt. It punched a hole in the wall just like this. He says, good morning, Mr. C. And he's bouncing around the room like a pinball in a machine. And I watched him for a moment and I said, ah, I think your medications have not been taken this morning because he was taking, he was on a program for this and he goes, oh, I don't need that stuff anymore. And he was just ding, 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 ding. And, and then we had, uh, we, we, we had some dispensing capability and he took his medic medications and all of a sudden he calmed down. Yeah. And it was like the sun was coming through the windows. Yeah. And it made the room warmer. And yeah. he came up to me and he said, I think I'll work on my mouth today, Mr. C. Yeah, yeah. And went over and sat down and started working diligently. And, yeah. And it just, you could see the, the change in energy. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's not a behavior that they can really control. It's, a, it's there all the time. And, yeah. and it's, it's something that it requires a lot of patience. Right. I, that's my experience. And you, you, you have some personal uh, background in this that maybe you have some more you can add with my assessment. Well, I'm ADHD yeah. classic, right? So the, uh, you know, hence, uh, you know, the, uh, I, uh, I failed grade three and I failed grade seven three times. And, and uh, uh, hyperactivity is part of them. Uh, the other one is uh, difficulty in focusing on, on the issues at hand. Uh, you know, half the time I physically, mentally was not there. I would never have guessed that. No. <laughs> I never, I never, I never no. really, I, you, like you do not present to me as anyone that, like than the, the people I worked with. Yeah. But it's different for older people than, than younger ones. I've respects. always been like that. 
and and uh, you know, and I still am very much so. Uh, but I have developed the skill sets of not only working with it, but turning it around to my benefit. Of course, I call work it ethic. a superpower. Yeah, and and I could not have been successful to the extent that I am, I'm using it for the illustration, not saying hurrah, hurrah, John, how successful. That's not why I'm, I'm simply saying it, that those tools that I have, you know, serve me extremely well in all the things that I do. Because if you look at, uh, uh, and I again using it for illustration, failing grade three and then three times grade seven, from there on in, I, be, I became a self-educator and, uh, you know, I'm very good, uh, you know, in a number of areas, math, uh, uh, economics, and, and a number of other things that I'm very, very, I'm a good author. I wrote two books. I will have another one this year. I will write one a year. Uh, as long as I'm physically able to do that. Well, you've discovered the secret to writing books, which is write a page a day. Correct. You, you, you write a page every day, you yeah. have a book a year. Yeah, I don't work that way in the ADHD mind. I, <laughs> I work by burst. Of course. Yeah, yeah because I need the superpower that gives me that energy to hyper-focus on something. And that's what I do. And, uh, uh, you know, at the same time, uh, in the forest industry in British Columbia, there is an umbrella group of the forest industry in British Columbia under the umbrella of the Council of Forest Industry. Yes. That all the major companies are there and uh, all, all the, uh, the, the producers. Now, uh, most of the companies there are tenured companies that have tenure. I'm, I'm the longest serving director on the Council of Forest Industry and I'm their vice chair. It's somewhat amazing, really. And then, uh, you know, the, I'm an active public speaker uh, you know, the, uh, and uh, I've, I, uh, you know, and I'm active in a lot of areas. And, yeah, well, uh, you've made a difference. Yeah. And, and so the point is to me that that's why I wrote the book. First, I wrote a book, and I'm going to give you, sign a copy for you, both books that I have. The one is this one here that is Against All Odds. Yes. And it's a biography about... Not so much about hurrah, hurrah, John, but about with all the challenges and, and all the uh, uh, difficulties along the way, is still staying the course and then succeeding, if you wish, under those circumstances. And, and I aim it at people that have had challenges and say, well, I could never do that. Or because of this, that, and the other things. Adjust I the attitude. Adjust your attitude. Yeah. yeah. And so I wrote that. It's an autobiography. I never wrote a book before in my life until this one, but I knew I had to do it well. I did my research on it, and the book is quite successful, actually, and uh, I'm proud of it. Uh, I did this one, and then I got another one, a little bit out of my reach there. Oh, I've got oh, There's here. a closer copy. So, and then the other one that I did is that, again, thinking about ADHD, I, I was 57 years old when I went to books on fourth year, and somehow I was in that store and I looked at the book and I opened the book. I still don't know why I did it. Uh, uh, Driven to Distraction was the title. And, 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 and you discovered what you and had... And I said, oh my God, that is me. 
Yes. And and I I went through it and through it and and kind of the guy in the store said, "We're going to buy it or what are we doing here?" You know. So <laughs> and obviously I bought it yeah. and I wrote in it in Dutch because I was ashamed of it. Now I finally know who I am, and and uh, and then it took me after that probably another five years before I talked to my doc, who was a personal friend, delivered both our daughters, mm -hmm. and and I knew well until one day I went into his office five years after I discovered this and said, "Oh my God, now what do I do? I want to Google's and blah blah blah. I'm trying to build a lumber company." What am I going to say to the banker? Uh, oh, okay. Uh, you know, the uh, I want to lend X amount of millions of dollars or whatever. And uh, but I have a mental issue that's called ADHD. And say, well, have a nice day. You know, <laughs> you know, like in my mind. Yeah, but it does. But it's not even relevant. No, but but so I so that's why I, the stigma around it was troubling to me at the time. Uh. And 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 then uh, so I talked to my doc and I said. Uh, he said, well, why are you here? And he, I said, I think I've got ADHD. <laughs> and then him and me talked about it. And uh, he said, I think so too. <laughs> and, and, and so, and then from there on in, it took me another number of years until he said, uh, I, I said to him one day, I said, you think I should use medicine? Like, what do you think? He said, well, maybe a Ritalin or Adderall or so he said, okay, well, let's do Adderall, try it out, see what happens. So I got uh, a thing with 100 pills in it. I used three of them, didn't do nothing for me. They're still in my drawer, actually. <laughs> they have probably have been there for 10 years. Doesn't surprise me in the least. No. <laughs> I would think it, at being the age you were when you discovered this, you've already developed coping skills to work around. Yeah, and, and, make and it not only make work it, around it, but... Make it work for you. Make it work... I call it a superpower. Yeah. And I did that in this book. And basically saying, uh, and then I wrote the book in such a way that uh, the ADHD mind sometimes can start looking at things. This one you can pick it up, open up anywhere and read from that point forward. I'll go back and, uh, you know, and, and this one has been very, very popular. Uh, yeah, not only here, but also in Europe. Oh, great. And I did an audio book on both of these as well. Wow. Yeah. And then uh, and I'm, I'm, re I'm reading the book myself yes, because yes. I thought it was important. And I'm doing another one that will come out in July of next year. And we are already substantially, uh, you know, on our way and on target. And uh, at the title, I'm not absolutely totally sure about it, but it will be something like, Finding the passion, living the dream, you know, because the two are connected. Is that I find there are so many people that, you know, are in, involved in whatever they are doing and they're not overly happy about it. Mm. And, and they're saying, my, I hate my job. Well, if you hate your job, that's going to affect all the other elements of your life. You have to change things when you're in a circumstance. It's and that's good. kind of what the book ta talks about. In the early stages of somebody when they are young in terms of trying to find a direction with all the challenges that you have, kind of growing through the initial stages from being a young person to an adult and all the things that are involved next. And even for people, uh, and we interview a number of people in that particular book, that at later part of the life 
they decided to make a change. You know, if they are in the 30s, 40s, or whenever, and, and, and they say, I changed direction. Yes. And, and, and are successful in doing that. And so I'm talking about that. And then, uh, you know, the importance of uh, uh, attitude, passion, work ethic. The other part about this one is that the person that wrote the uh, introduction to the book is uh, uh, Dr. Tracy Lotz. She's probably one of the more, she's not only an MD, but she's also a surgeon. Okay. And I would say one of the most able uh, medical doctors in this region and extremely popular, ADHD. And it happens now over and over again, Sheldon, that I meet people that saying, my son, my brother, my this, me, they would say to me is, I never told anybody, but I'm ADHD. So what I'm hoping to do, at least in my world, is opening the door and saying, it's a superpower. Make it's not a liability. Yeah, make use of it. Make use of it. Yeah. Make it work for you. I, you know, I, I think I have 12 companies or so, and then they're saying, they said to me, how do you do it? You know, and all the other things. Well, to me, it comes natural. You turned it into passion and work ethic. Exactly. Yeah. And, and You and, had the right attitude. Yeah. And you just flipped your ability, your superpower yeah. into, into that. Uh, that's a wise way to go. And then at the same time, I want to share that with others, you know, so it's not that I'm trying to make a fortune on my no, Other people are having the same burden or they yeah. think it's a burden and you're going to try and flip it to something that is going to support them. Yeah. And, and, and so another thing, if you look at the book and I will give it to you in a minute, I'll give it to you now. And then b before I, uh, I give it to you, I sign it and obviously you get it for free. Both of them. Well, thank you. But what do you, if I gave you the book and, and you look at the back of the book, what do you see? Wow. We see a whole bunch of people who have a lot of skills and knowledge right. who are supporting what you're saying. And, and what's the cost of the book? It costs exactly what you came to Canada with, <laughs> to Prince George with. That, and that's the price of the book. It's brilliant. That's brilliant. That so would have been a day's pay in those days. Yeah, pretty much, uh, Sheldon, yeah, because I, I remember the first two weeks that I got paid. I think it was $160 for 80 hours work. Yep, that's a day's pay. Yeah. You're riding, yeah. You're riding a Prince George with a day's pay in your pocket. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm looking forward to reading this. Yeah, so I'm gonna sign it for you and... and a real honor, John. I've really enjoyed our chat. This is, yeah. uh, this is uh, great fun. Uh, you know, I, we've, we've talked a little bit before. I've run into you in the airport a few times and you've always, you've always been going somewhere or coming back from somewhere and always a story and an adventure. Yeah, and, and again, you know, I kind of followed you uh, and, and with all the things that you're doing in Prince George and being so active in Prince George and your history and your family's history is so much part of Prince George, right? Well, thank you. I, uh, I appreciate that. I mean, I think of what Prince George was like when my grandfather came here with around, you know, maybe 2,400 people and then you had the the war and then there were thousands of people here from the, all the soldiers that were here. Exactly. Then 
the changes in the forest industry that happened with the sawmills all being closed down and consolidated. And then when the, mill, the pulp mills came, and that made, started to make a huge difference. With the yeah. pulp mills, you had Pacific Vocational Institute. Yeah. The College of New Caledonia was yeah. built rather quickly after that yeah. on top of it. And, yeah. and then so much went on to build this into the, the, the wonderful northern winter city that it is. Yeah. And, and it was kind of a boom period in a way, but then it kind of settled down and it really became, you know, a great city to raise a family. The recreational opportunities here are second to none. And, and, and it is truly the center of northern BC and it showed that in particular the leadership role when we had the uh, terrible fires here in 2018 and 19 and where thousands of people from around came here and were welcome to Prince George and, and then, uh, you know, the Prince George, uh, you know, became the true leader working with the other communities and building the north. It was an oasis in a yeah. time of, of dry, smoky, desert, horrible conditions. Yeah. And I, I remember the setting up the, the people were setting up the colleges, uh, classrooms as, yeah. as uh, places for people to stay. And, and, yeah. and uh, you know, these kind of things make, uh, make the city a strong place. Yeah. It makes people know each other better. And, yeah. And I, I think that's that's so critical. Yeah. Claire, uh, you know, it, it was a pleasure, and especially it's so important now, you know, on the 11th. It is. It is, my friend. Thank you. Real Thank pleasure you. being here, John. Yeah.